Love has done its part I let it rain in my life and in my heart All right, well today we're going to talk about parents uh, and how they can influence our brokenness, uh, perhaps also how they can influence our healing. Uh, just depends on their how they see things. Oftentimes, I think what's important to see is that, you know, we've heard the old adage, hurt people hurt people. I think sometimes with specifically parents, we can see that if your parents have been hurt and don't deal with their hurts, then they're apt to hurt their kids. Certainly not on purpose, and I want to put that disclaimer in there for any parents who are listening, because it's uh, not necessarily this thing where we're looking at parents and going, bad parent, you know, we're just saying, certainly we have to at some point look at the idea that we have, um, you know, that we have this, this kind of vacuum a kid is born into, and it's mostly, at least for the first five, seven years, it's mostly wrapped up with parents. I'm not saying that teachers don't have a part of that to play. Other students have a part of that to play. Friends, grandparents, aunts and uncles. But for the most part, it's usually mom and dad for the first five years or so that have a primary socialization of the child. And that's what we're looking at today is how can a parent accidentally wound their children and cause them to be into some sort of brokenness? And how can that, uh, if once they see that, can they heal that? Can they help heal that process? Uh, do they ever become a part of the healing process if, they're, if they get well enough or they see their own hurts to be able to help their kids? And so just kind of looking through that today. And I think Corey's compiled a list of questions here that we'll start throwing out here, and we'll have some conversation. Sure. Well, this was, yeah, about breaking from your parents and what that would look like. So, also, I just came to mind that it's interesting to me, as a child, you don't really know who you are, and it kind of, you find out by how you're treated by your parents. Absolutely. And even if it's not true. Even if it's not true. I think that's a good way to look at it. You know, and if you look across the lifespan, I think that's kind of interesting. Because I always have said, when you get married, you're a, you're a mirror to your spouse. It's showing them all the time who they are and what you believe about them. It says how, what their value is. I think when you said that, I was just kinda, it was just kind of clicking in my heart that that's true about parents. Our parents are the mirrors that come back to the kid that says, this is who you are. This is how good you are. This is what a failure you are. This is where you live up to our expectations. This is where you don't live up to our expectations. And so you're absolutely right. I think a kid's definition of himself is fairly established by a parent early on and then can be made better or worse by other factors outside of the family, like Friends or teachers, bullying, teasing, uh, you know, a, a specific Sunday school teacher perhaps that really uh, pours himself or herself into a kid's life that can change the trajectory of a kid's brokenness. But I do, I, gr I agree with you. I think uh, parents define a kid pretty early on. And so, what do you think happens when, uh, when someone realizes that who 
who they are is not who their parents think they are. Kind of like this, the theme song for this podcast, your love. Your love you is see, done its part. Right. Or, right. or uh, you see me, but you don't really know me. Right. And I think, uh, you know, and maybe we'll at some point play that entire song and put it on this particular podcast or, or video because I think it might be helpful for some. Uh, I wrote the words, Corey sang them, and so um, the the words came to my heart because as I was driving home one time, I was just kind of real driving home from my parents' house. I was just kind of realizing that you know they always had a dream for me. And it wasn't a bad dream. It wasn't a dream that was was not good for me, but it wasn't me. It was a dream that they made. And so that's part of what that that song means is that, you know, you see me, but you don't really know me. Your eyes see right through me. What you think I am is what you want me to be. And what that does to a kid is it kind of sets up in a kid's mind that you don't really like who I am. You demand that I live up to your expectation. And what happens in a parent's heart in that is not sinister, but it's usually born out of what I would think is perfectionism. Like I, like I failed as a kid, and so therefore you have to be better than me. So I have an idea for you that will make you better than who I was. Um, and would you say that's kind of a, a foundation of shame also? Absolutely. It's not meant to be. I doubt any parent would say, well, I was trying to shame my kid into being good. I think they're thinking they're doing a great job trying to get them to be great. But anytime you compare a kid to something they don't know how to be or they don't really want to be, it's kind of like... It's kind of like the parent whose you know kid runs in and says, "Mom, mom, look, I got a B plus on my on my report card." And she says, "Oh, wow, that's so wonderful. What did Susie get? Well, she got an A. Well, how come you didn't get an A? You know, it doesn't sound all that sinister, but to that kid, it's an immediate comparison of, "Wow, Susie gets the A, I get the B." Not, "Hey, you did a great job. That's wonderful," and just leave it at that. But there's always this subtle. You need to do better. You need to be better. You need to live up to my expectation. And sometimes it's more, um, well, it can be more sinister than that. Sometimes you just have a parent who outright says, you don't live up to my expectation. You know, um, perhaps it's a son whose dad wants him to to be a mechanic like he is, but yet dad's a perfectionist and he can't live up to that expectation. He can't get good enough to to live up to the expectation that his dad wants him to. So his dad just gets angry all the time. So the kid finally rejects that, but dad's upset because he wants him to be that mechanic. And so now you don't live up to my expectations, or you're not the kid who wants to, what, be a doctor like I am, or go to medical school because that's what we've done in our entire family. You know, I worked with a guy one time whose dad was a doctor and his uncle was a doctor and grandfather was a doctor and it's like he didn't want to be a doctor. But he ended up having to form, conform to that because, guess what, in this family you become a doctor. Well, a lot of his brokenness came out of never being who he wanted to be but living up to the idea of what his parents wanted him to be. And that's that place of, I can't be who God made me to be. I have to be the person that you want me to be. And that's a crazy place, because it, it never fulfills. Right. 
So um, I'm curious what you think about this. As as a kid, we're dependent on our parents' love. I mean, you almost need you need it as a kid. Right. So when you experience what you're talking about, um, do you find do, do you believe that people will kind of get stuck in this? way of always wanting to get their parents to love them and and they just kind of are in a certain kind of a stuck pattern of just looking for love in all the wrong places yeah exactly <laughs> yeah well uh not not just with the parents but with anyone and as even if as old people you know it do people does that happen i think so i mean you know that we do a lot of work in our in our healing here at Shadow of His Wings, we do a lot of work with mother wound and father wound because I personally believe those are two of the most significant wounds. And most of the time that wound is, and again, I want to you know, say I'm a parent, so I know I didn't do it all correctly, and so I'm not blaming parents here. But I am saying that that's usually the place where you know, it's okay to look at that did I, did I love my child well? You know, um, because I think you're right. What you're what you're saying is is do they go off looking for this love that will finally fill that wound in their heart? Mm-hmm. Well, if you look at any kind of brokenness, whether it's alcoholism, whether it's you know any habitual sin, we work a lot with sexual sins, uh, homosexuality, heterosexual brokenness. You know, when a let's say for example, perhaps if a if a father is constantly disappointed in his son. He's going to feel unloved in that place. So he never gets that love from his father that although his father may say, of course I love you. Look at how much I do for you. Look at how much I give you. Look at all the things I bring home to pay your bills and to keep you in tennis shoes. And, you know, look at, you know, all the things I do for you. That may be the father's idea of what love is. But if he's always disappointed in that son, then that son carries around a love wound that says, I'm not, I'm not acceptable. Dad never met me in that place of loving me well. And so that empty spot, he'll spend the rest of his days trying to fill, unless he gets healing, trying to fill that with, with either male love and homosexuality. Sometimes he'll try to fill it with uh, worth like, he'll try to be the, the best at everything, be the guy that makes the million, that gets the girl, because dad never was approving of him. So he's got to make somehow, he's got to make it happen that he looks good, acts good, proves to himself that I was worthy of love. Same thing for a mother wound. If a mom isn't able to fully love her kid, then sometimes... That's what causes heterosexual sexual brokenness or addictions because mom doesn't love well. So a guy runs off and says, well, I'm just going to, you know, find 27 women that will finally prove to me somehow that I'm good. That, you know, if I have sex with enough women, if I get married and have three women on the side in affairs, then perhaps that will finally show people show me even really show him the little boy inside of him that I'm worthy of being loved. So this wounds from parents, you know, they're pretty, in my opinion, they're pretty long standing. If you're not careful and you don't deal with them, they'll keep following you because, you know, I don't know if anybody's, you know, sometimes the question comes up is, you know, when I'm working with somebody, it's kind of like, have you ever looked at why you do the things you do? 
you know, most of us don't look at the reason why we do something. That's the whole kind of wild and crazy brokenness in the gay agenda. They don't want to see why they do something. They just want everyone to accept it. Well, that's kind of the struggle in most healing is people don't really want to look at what they, the reasons are why they do something. Sometimes it hurts to go back and look at it. Sometimes a kid's been sexually abused by a parent. Sometimes a kid's been um, physically abused or spanked very hard or beaten sometimes with a belt. You know, it's like, I don't want to go back and look at those things because those hurt. But you have to look at that place where the wound started so that you can actually start to change that place and heal it so you're not picking life out of your brokenness, but you're picking things in life out of your healing. Does that make sense? That makes sense. So, <clears throat> as you're healing, or as you're looking at that, what what do you think about um, ha- the idea that you're you kind of absorb your parents' personality, and you maybe they're just kind of embedded, like they're even if you don't have contact with your parents, maybe you're still they're still in your head, you know, and so how can you, you may have a wound, but you may also have a, you know, this voice that is from your parents kind of right. directing you. And is that, po- you know, I just, I guess, what do you think about that or breaking, breaking free from that? Well, I think we know that's possible, right? I mean, that's pretty, pretty clear. I, I think, you know, sometimes what Shay and I have called it is wearing our parents' hat, you know, or putting on the mask of our parent. It's like, you know, I just believe kids are sponges. And so whether we like it or not, we absorb what's going on around us. We're modeled behavior. We identify with behavior. Parents show us their behavior and kids are constantly drawing that in. And so we may not, you know, we may not even really like our parent because we don't like how they hurt us or what they did to us. But then we find out in some ways we're a lot like our parent. Mm -hmm. You know, we begin to realize that, wow, I've picked this up by accident. Uh, I think probably 70% of healing comes when you can actually realize you've picked that up. It's not even whether you can quit doing it. It's that you at least recognize that you've picked it up. Yeah. Or even like the voice, the, the, uh, thinking about shame if there's a certain belief or phrase that your parents spoke to you just that sticking with you in everything you do or absolutely not just not measuring up because you still have that voice you know yeah well it's uh it's like a a, a guy i worked with one time his dad would call him shit for brains and that's just was his kind of he would joke about it he'd say hey get over here shit for brains and you know, and and while he remembers at some point as a teenager, kind of ultimately kind of laughing it off, it he never got rid of the shame attached to the name shit for brains. Because mm-hmm. as much as his dad would try to say, oh, you know, I'm just joking with you. And, oh, you know, it's just a, you know, I'm just playing with you. It was a term that, of course, left scars that were very deep because, you know, what that does is that says to a kid, you know, you have no worth to me. And even though he tried to turn it into some sort of morph of, 
you know, morph it into some sort of, you know, term of endearment, he still knew, obviously, I don't think my dad thinks I'm very smart or capable of being smart. And so it's kind of, it's, it's realizing that, you know, that shame was placed on him by his father. And he now is the one that has to deal with that, you know, or the mom that slaps her kid in the face while he's at the table because she doesn't like him chewing gum at the table or something, you know, you know, these actions by a parent constantly shame a kid. It can be much more subtle than that as well. It can be the whole idea of, you know, the parent who says, oh, you know what, you're such a great little boy uh, because you love Jesus so much. And, oh, now remember, Jesus wouldn't like that, you know? It's like that puts in a kid's mind of, "Uh uh-oh, Jesus is watching me. I've got to be perfect all the time. And therefore, if I'm not perfect then therefore somehow now Jesus is even in the picture of disliking me, you know, or if I don't live up to my parents' expectation of, you know, I have to always be this good Christian, you know, kid. And if I'm not, then somehow I'm less than. So he may struggle in his heart. He may say, you know, some days I don't even know how to love Jesus, but I have to always portray that I do because otherwise I'm bad because mom won't appreciate who I am. Um, I think I want to mention this too. Sometimes the other subtle one is a mom who does everything for her kid. That looks like love, right? Mom's going to go, oh, look how much I love you. I do everything for you. But to that kid, it is a very subtle and sinister message of, I don't believe you can really do it on your own. So I'm just going to do it for you. And it kind of stunts his emotional growth or her emotional growth. So it's this subtle stuff that's all wrapped in shame and hurt from a parent's perspective. But, you know, there's the very obvious and then there's the very uh, sinister under the cover kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. This still hurts a kid. That still defines who he is by a parent. And then he may not ha- he may have trouble at that point trying to get as we've talked about, get her out of his head or get him, his dad, out of his head because he'll go try something and all he can think about is I'm shit for brains or he may try something. He's like, oh, I wish my mom were here. She could tell me how to do this or she would tell me that she'd help it be all right. And then that's a brokenness as well because you don't want, you know, you don't want this guy to constantly feel like he needs his dad's approval to go do things nor his mom's approval if, if she's constantly making him feel like he can't do it on his own. Okay. What do you think of that? I love catching you off guard sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> I love it too. <laughs> I can tell you don't like it. <laughs> well, uh... Do you have any thoughts about it? About those scenarios? Yeah. I just think about how difficult it is to truly get that out of your head because... It can be such a, a core belief, even if you don't like it, and even if you may know it's not true. It's like, how do you truly not believe that anymore? How do you heal and gr- how do you grieve it? You yeah. know, that's, you know, I appreciate you saying that, and that's why I put you on the spot. So I'm glad I did this time, you know. And but 
I think I might even change that 70% of the battle is knowing that you're aware of it. I think that you might argue with that and say, boy, it sure feels like 40% is knowing it and being aware of it. 60% is getting it out of your head. True. So you're saying... You're saying I'm saying what you're telling me is makes it me realize maybe that's the harder thing is getting it out is of your getting head. it out of your head. I guess it depends on where you're at because I can see how for some it is harder to even see it to even see right. that this is not who you are right. really. It's something that's been put on you and you just owned it. You, you know? just owned it and now you live it. Right. Well, and I think. I think grieving it's a big part of it. I've I've learned in my own life that experiencing it differently is is the biggest part to healing as well. Is actually once you see that you're acting it out or that that's how you, where you got it. The next best the next thing to do is to grieve. Yes, I don't know. You know, it makes me sad and grieve what how it got there. But then it seems to me that the next thing is, at least in my own life, has been, you know, to actually go out and do something that's in the flies in the face of it. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, as I was growing up, you know, I remember thinking, you know, I, I don't think I can be good on my own. I have to have people tell me how to do things. And God has put people in my life who would just say, hey, I'm not going to help you with this. You're going to get this. You need to do it. And that scares the crap out of me, you know, it used to, but it was kind of a place of, okay, what's the worst that can happen, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, the worst thing that can happen is I can fail at this thing. Okay, then what happens? You just fail. And you pick your stuff up and you try it again, you know? And so it's been kind of interesting. I mean, I'm 51, so it takes a lifetime to sometimes break some of those things, but it's Finding those things that you're most afraid of because of the definitions your parents have put in your life and then beginning to actually do the opposite, you know? Um, I mean, my dad, he's a great mechanic. He always has been a great mechanic. I don't think he had the patience with me for me to be a great mechanic. And yet now, God's always kind of whispering in my ear when something breaks down on a vehicle, I think you can fix that. I'm like, oh, I can't fix that. I think you can fix that. I can't fix that. Luckily, I have a wife now who's better at it than I am. And so sometimes she'll say, oh, I think we can fix that. And I'm like, okay, great, you know. And so she kind of even encourages me. But it's, it's kind of it's trying to overcome that place and, and proving to yourself you're not the definition that your parents have put in, in your head. You know, it's so much for any of our brokenness. It's like you may be told you're shit for brains. You graduate, you get your college degree. Well, at least there's something there that proves you're not shit for brains. You know, or you're always the kid that mom says was her smart one, but not the very pretty one. You know, I've heard some folks I've worked with say that. A a girl said, a woman said one time, you know, her mom said, well, just, just know your, your sister may have the looks, but you have the brains, you know, it's like that hurts. You know, her mom thought she was giving her this wonderful compliment. Mm -hmm. Did she become the smart one? Sure. Because guess what? She knew right away, I better become the smart one because (laughs) I'm not the pretty one. 
But what it takes is overcoming that with learning something that's the opposite of what we believe, you know, getting out there and letting people see her and beginning to see her own worth and seeing her own beauty and doing things that prove to herself, I can be beautiful. Um, and that's kind of, that, in my opinion, that's part of the process of overcoming that. Part of you see me, but you don't really know me, your eyes see right through me, is a parent sometimes can only see what they believe about their kid. And what if that falls short? You know, then you got a kid who fears that even God thinks he's fallen short. Well, yeah. I, I didn't really make you as something good, so you're going to have to be a janitor for the rest of your life. Not that there's anything wrong with being a janitor, if that's what God calls you to be. I'm just saying it's that place of defining yourself as somebody's broken, as somebody else's broken I- idea. Mm-hmm. I've been a janitor, so. <laughs> <laughs> I knew I'd get in trouble for that one. Whatever it is that you think you shouldn't, you'd, you'd want to live past yeah. that, that image. So, one more thing. What, sure. what happens when, when you do fight against that, but you still have relationship with your parents or people that believe you are not what you know you are or what you're trying to overcome or pursue? You know what I mean? Well, I think the Bible says for a reason uh, that a man should leave his mother and a woman should leave her, her home. I think that's talking about marriage, of course, and it, I think it's in Luke where it talks about a man should leave his mother and a woman should leave his home. Uh, a woman should leave her home, and I think that's, you know, talking about the two of them becoming one flesh. But I think it's also biblical for a, especially for a, a son to leave his parents because the only way he ever finds who he really is is without the ever watchful eye of his parents telling him who he thinks he is and beginning to explore who is he really without someone else's interpretation. Because, you know, I think that's the... I just remember my own life beginning to kind of pull away and say, okay, I I don't need to call my, my parents every day or twice a week, or whatever it was. It's like, I need to be able to find out who I am. And, you know, you don't want to hurt your parents, so sometimes it's helpful to say, hey, I'm going on my own adventure. I may not call you as much as I used to. I just kind of want to see who I am. You know, um, sometimes parents don't, you know, they don't do, they don't handle that well, <laughs> so they get upset, like, you know, oh, how come you don't call me, and how come you don't, you know, write me, and I need to know, I need to see where you're at. It's like, but, you know, if you're old enough, and, you know, whatever age that is, anywhere between, of course, you know, perhaps 17 and dead, you know, you may be old enough to go off on your own and decide who you are. Um, if your parents can't handle that, you actually might be helping them break free from their own brokenness, you know, of living their life through that boy or through that girl, through that child, you know, because I think it's helpful for them to have to walk through the pain. It was kind of interesting. I was working with someone just not too long ago who she kept saying, why do I need to hurt my parents by confronting them about how they hurt me? And I said, well, you know, it's certainly the confrontation doesn't have to be bad. It can be, hey, I just needed to talk with you about this. But if they don't take it well, what if it will help set them free from a place of hanging on to you in an unhealthy way? What if it's to also help your parents let go of an idea of who you are that you were never meant to be for them? 
I mean, I have watched where a kid will ultimately, you know, say, I don't want to be this for you anymore, mom and dad. I can't be your everything. Pull away. And their relationship actually gets better because then they do actually have to cleave to one another instead of making this child their constant idea and focus and purpose. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, okay. What do we do now that this person that I married to is my focus? I don't even know if I can be that person or do I want to be with that person? You know, it's like a mom who pours her entire life into her kids. What happens when there's an empty nest now? Well, it might show her some of her own brokenness because then she has to deal with what have I pl- where have I placed my child or my children as top priority versus what I believe the Bible calls us to is our marriage is the top priority, not the kids. I know that was that a long explanation for that. That was great. That was good. Good. Well, before we wrap up, I want to throw in uh, one comment as well, just about brokenness in general. You know, it's, it is a deep wound, and I, I don't want people to think that we're taking it lightly that, you know, that they got deeply wounded. And I think parents feel those deep wounds. I think there's probably that deep wound is what caused them to draw too close to their child in the first place or to absolutely accidentally reject them. So I want to honor that there's deep wounding both in the parent and into the child. But you can't get out of that wounding or whatever behavior it is, whether it's acting out sexually with women or men or drugs or alcohol or the whole slew of things that somebody can fill into that hole. You know, you can't get away from that until you're willing to at least begin to acknowledge, I am hurt. And there's, I don't know if you've seen it, but there's a little bit of a, like a, a loyalty ceiling there. Like I can't look there where my parents might have hurt me because I have to be loyal to them. Yeah. I must honor my father and mother. Well, honoring your father and mother doesn't mean that you can't look at how they honestly hurt you and even talk about it. Now your parents may never know, or not yours, but, but a parent may never know how to really talk about it. They may never choose to ever go there with with a person trying to get healing. But it's beginning to try to look at that and say, okay, I want more, so I have to go there. You know? Let's not just do the same old thing we always do, which is, oh, you remember that time Dad slammed us up against the wall because he was so mad and beat us to death? Ha, 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 Dad sure had a temper. That's not funny, but we make it funny. We make it like, ha-ha, this is something that, you know, oh, we just laugh about it now. That was just dad. Mm-hmm. Or you remember those times dad would come home drunk and he'd, you know, break everything in the house? Man, he was, uh, he was something, wasn't he? You know, it's like, do you realize what you're saying? I mean, be honest with yourself. He was hurting you. He hurt you. He hurt your family. He hurt your mom. Your mom got hurt in the process. Can we look at that or do we just keep acting like it was something funny? Um, and so that kind of looking can actually help us to overcome our own hurts by realizing I really got hurt there and I don't want to be there. I don't want to live in a place of denial anymore. 
because denial keeps brokenness in the place, which keeps strongholds, which keeps the demonic in a place of, of being in our life. And we want to live free. I agree. Amen. Well, we talked a little bit about parents. We'll keep talking about parents, and we'll see, uh, we'll see you the next time. But you don't really know me Your eyes see right through me What you think I am Is what you want me to be Your hopes and dreams for me Attempt to change things Things that my God has for me The things you cannot see So lonely, waiting for you to notice Me on the inside isn't who you want to see Because your hopes and dreams for me Are all you dream Are all you dream But you don't really know me Your eyes see right through me What you think I am Is what you want me to be My heart is filled with dreams of my own But your desires are all you have sown My life is steered by the hopes you long for But the man I am Rise out for more Stand back, please take heart Don't you see you've done your part Allow me to be the man God wants me to be And it feels so lonely Waiting for you to notice Me on the inside isn't who you want to see Because your hopes and dreams for me all you dream And now it feels so lonely Waiting for you to notice Me on the inside isn't who you want to see Because your hopes and dreams for me Are all you dream All you dream See me, but you don't really know me. Your eyes see right through me. What you think I am is what you want me to be. My want to make you happy has become a want to make him happy. I need to be the man he wants me to be. In spite of what you think you see I feel so lonely Waiting for you to notice Me on the inside isn't who you want to see Because your hopes and dreams for me Are all you dream It feels so lonely Waiting for you to notice Me on the inside isn't who you want to see Cause your hopes and dreams for me are all you dream.
Cause your hopes and dreams for me Are all you dream Are all you dream Love has done its part Now let him reign in my life and my heart Your love has done its part Now let him reign in my life and my heart Your love has done its part Now let him reign in my life and my heart Your love has done its part let him reign in my life and my heart Your love has done its part Now let him reign in my life and my heart Your love has done its part But you don't really know me Your eyes see right through me What you think I am Is what you want me to be